0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. John Ewing. I'm with Spirit Lake Wellness, and we are interviewing Dr. Drake Spate about sacred breathwork. Uh, so this is part three. In part one, we talked about what sacred breathwork is, and what, and in part two, what are its benefits. And now I was hoping that we would talk about some of the procedure, the mechanics of how do we do this. Okay.
1: Well, and I'm sure that's the question on everyone's mind. You know, what does a typical sacred breathwork session look like? And what do you actually do? You know, is it just a way of breathing funny or what is this all about? And so I thought I would go into some of the mechanics of that a little bit. In a breathwork session, what happens is you'll usually be in a group of people and in the sacred breathwork context it tends to be a smaller more contained group of people i would say you know 16 people in a moderate sized room would uh, be fairly typical Um, and the groups could even be a little bit smaller but interestingly enough we found that these sessions are more effective when you have group context rather than working with someone individually kind of doing this there's something that happens synergistically when you have a group of people get together who are very serious about growing in self-awareness doing some work for healing Um, it really sets up just a great container and establishes what i would call the sacred that we are here to do sacred work in terms of the healing. I really think of something that we say in a lot of spiritual contexts: that the work we do to heal ourselves is also work we do to heal each other. And there's this real sense of that in a session. So you will sort of work in pairs. One person will be the one breathing and then the other person will serve as an ally for that person while they're doing the session. And the ally simply will watch that person and make sure that they remain in a safe space to do their work. They will help maintain the integrity of that space physically and kind of spiritually. They're not there to interfere with the process. They're not there to impose their own ideas of how to heal the person. They're there to hold space for the person while the person is going through their own struggles and going through their own work. Um, And it's really a powerful experience to be an ally because you get a firsthand chance to see how pain can be transmuted into something sublime and beautiful. And it is some of the most deeply moving work to witness and be a part of that I can imagine. This all happens during a two to two and a half hour session where the breathing that the breather is doing is also paired to music that's played very loudly in the room. The music follows a trajectory of being very kind of driving fast-paced, um, fast-paced rather, heavy percussion. And, um, usually music that's unfamiliar in context, so we might use various samples of world music, music that uh, will not be immediately recognizable to the participants. That fast-paced, heavy percussive music eventually gives way to more moderately paced music and more ethereal-seeming music to sort of introduce this notion of moving from the separation from your familiar circumstances into... An initiation into the sacred and into the presence of the sacred. And then from there, coming out of that, ultimately into a return to earth, to return to the body, to a return from the adventure of self-discovery that you have just been on. You might even say it follows those uh, stages of separation, initiation, and return that have been described so well by Joseph Campbell and arguably others, what Campbell calls the, the stages of the hero's journey, which is also incidentally the structure of the best fairy tales, stories, movies, films that we archetypally really love that seem to have, give us so much information about ourselves and each other. Once that two and a half hour session is done, The breathers are assisted in kind of coming back to themselves, and they are helped to a room where artwork is prepared, and they have the chance to paint or draw or color, um, usually in the form of a Jungian mandala kind of uh, drawing, where they have a chance to symbolically capture some aspect of their experience or put a container around it. This would be the expressive creative therapy aspect of it. And even people who don't feel like they have any particular artistic talent have lovely experiences putting into artistic expressive form um, the container for what it is that they have just experienced. And after that is finished, we have another session where the ally then has the chance to be the breather and the person who has done the breathing in the prior session becomes the ally for that person. So the roles switch and we have another music session, another art session. And at the end of all of that, whether it's a day experience or whether it's a weekend experience, somewhere at the end of you know the sessions or the series of sessions, everyone will kind of debrief um, afterward, and really talk about what the whole experience was like for them, and how it has really kind of how they have engaged it ultimately, what they're still struggling with, what things were opened up for them, what worked well for them, what didn't work well. And it's a way ultimately of kind of sharing the story of their adventure and sharing the wisdom that they have kind of gleaned from the experience. Um, and it's a beautiful kind of, um, again, potentially life-changing thing where a lot of serious work gets done in a very short time. And something, you know, that we offer through sacred breath work that it's not been typically as available through the larger group sessions offered by Stanislav Grof and holotropic work is the longer-term follow-up. You know, we do this in community contexts where we can remain in touch with each other so we can have continued conversations about the longer term impact of this. Because let's face it, you know we're going into a lot of old pain and sometimes that might need continued work and we're doing so in a very intensive way. And I think to just leave someone to their own devices with something like that may not always be the most responsible thing we can do. So we need to be able to do that particularly when sometimes people go into the breathwork trying to resolve or they may actually incur or encounter something that groff calls a spiritual emergency which is the play on words of course emergence the emergence of some kind of spiritual awakening or insight um some impending transformation and then emergency as crisis meaning there might be even a mental health crisis aspect when we get into something potentially, you know, we might have even entered the breathwork because there might be some mental health issue associated with a spiritual awakening where everything is shifting in our lives and we don't have any context in the way we have lived our lives up to that point. And the food that we're given by the culture has, is not food that nurtures that growing awareness in us and we're craving some different food. And sometimes these can be experienced as depression, anxiety, and dare I say, even certain kinds of psychotic experiences that are not well supported, that are not understood. And there's no kind of spiritual container or context as there may be in indigenous cultures or in eastern cultures where they're more used to this idea that deep spiritual work can be associated with emotional crises and psychological crises. So I think it's good, you know, that we do have mental health people on hand and we have um, body work practitioners. We have, uh, you know, a lot of people who come at this from various healing aspects ultimately to be able to provide ongoing support for the experience as well.
0: That's fascinating. It is interesting sometimes that the sources of our pain uh and suffering can emerge in a spiritual way as an inner experience and and manifest almost as a being in and of itself and when we have these experiences that are not part of our ordinary world uh some people would describe them as psychotic to have these sort of crazy inner experiences But then the flip side of this is that to deny the reality of this inner world and these types of experiences is part of what causes the blocks to remain and part of what causes the energies to remain trapped in this underworld that we've created by insisting on living in the surface, uh, staying in the world of media and common ordinary consciousness
1: well it's interesting you say that because you know peter levine a trauma therapist with his somatic experiencing approach has made the point you know that you know if we think about what happens when somebody has been through a traumatic experience what you know seems to be natural physiologically is something that you know happens naturally in the wild too we shake we breathe fast you know and We have well-meaning, loving others in our lives who will try to get us to stop breathing that way or to calm down and stop shaking. And the body's natural reaction and way of coping with this very painful, traumatic thing that has just happened, that gets interrupted. So all of that energy gets suppressed and locked, if you will. And so Levine works with folks to try to unlock that energy from suppressed coping experiences and you know so the breathing aspect is interesting because we say oh you mustn't hyperventilate because that's just bad well what Groff has found in fact and what we have found is that hyperventilation isn't necessarily a dangerous problematic phenomenon as long as the person continues to breathe through and to breathe through all of those somatic kinds of symptoms and experiences that happen with that. And if, the, and if you do that, what happens is you start to enter into these different kinds of consciousness places where these non-ordinary um, gateway experiences to insights and awareness can really happen ultimately. And the body is able to finally release locked in kinds of traumas that have um, been instilled ultimately by our typical way of kind of dealing with those things that turns out may not be as helpful as we thought it was. Um, So it's really counterintuitive in some ways and it does take some courage to say, wow, I'm doing something that seems to be something that society, my society and culture, discourages me from doing. Um, And there are some medical contraindications. You know, if someone has had a recent psychotic kind of episode, you know, they're not encouraged to do this until there's been some therapy or processing of that. If someone has extreme hypertension or if someone has um, some of the eye conditions such as glaucoma and those kinds of things, if someone is uh, pregnant, they're, you know, the breathing kind of aspects of this could be potentially problematic and they're discouraged from doing it. And Groff, of course, is a medical doctor and a psychiatrist, so he was used to doing those medical screenings. But even as we do this, we definitely have kind of a screening interview to make sure that a person is in, you know, a fairly safe place, uh, physiologically to do the work too.
0: That makes sense. So, um, I was hoping that you could tell us a little more about the the post-processing of some of these experiences that people have and what types of, of helpful experiences uh, uh, do you recall that, that might be worth sharing?
1: Well, in terms of the the post-processing, I will sometimes have Skype sessions with individuals and others from the community will do this as well to just continue to discuss any difficult feelings that come up. You know new aspects of memories and and insights that they're having that don't jive with former experiences really well again it varies quite a lot you know it's it's hard to predict what might necessarily be stirred up but we just want to continue to be there to provide a container where someone is safe to continue to process that as best they can Um, and in terms of the benefits you know that i've seen you know, I've seen community members come together after doing many sessions of this. Um, in general, just conquering deep fears or different traumatic reactions that have manifested in their lives as physical addictions or physical problems or emotional dependencies. They seem to be free from that and they are experiencing courage and they're trying new things in their lives. They don't seem to be as bound by what people think that they should do or worry about what people think of them and, you know, if they make decisions for themselves rather than trying to please other people. There's just a real sense of courage and resourcefulness that's developed and a sense of generosity and compassion and peace, a willingness to engage in, 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 in Ro- and and Groff has demonstrated this through research as well a more willing greater willingness to engage in social justice activism and caring about the bigger problems in the world you know that seems to stem from this deeper compassion for humanity that emerges organically from it because we have this sense of deep connectedness to everyone and everything as an inherent part of the experience
0: very good um so this is this is something that i think uh, a lot of people could benefit from a lot of people are unaware of the need to reach within and and find your own spiritual reality find your own meaning and path and many people struggle to work their way through this materialistic approach to what we describe as success which is actually kind of a trap and uh, a what some people would even experience as a failure of the self to grow. Um, what are some of the pitfalls that people might encounter through the sacred breathwork uh, practice? What yeah. what kind of things could go wrong, what to watch out for?
1: Yeah, well, I haven't seen anything that I would characterize as going wrong per se. I have seen people be sometimes be not prepared for or surprised by the intensity of some of the emotions that they experience, you know, and getting in touch with very old kinds of pain and, you know, the extremes of sadness and joy that could be experienced in the same session. You know, some people go into it expecting it to be kind of a wild roller coaster ride, and it's almost a sense that maybe they thought it would be a little bit more recreational in in experience than anything else. And so they've not been prepared sometimes for the genuine feeling aspects of it. And so just really kind of wanting to support them through that. I've not yet experienced anybody having, you know, a really bad outcome from all of that. Um, that even, even being surprised by that encounter with themselves, it's, it's led to good things and good places for them.
0: Very good, well, um, we're about to wrap it up here. Is there uh, anything that we uh, forgot to cover? any questions do you think that uh, that people might have?
1: Well, there's no substitute for the actual experience of this, you know, and uh, you know so there I don't think there's any way we could possibly cover all of the intricacies and possibilities inherent in a discussion of this, but I am glad that I had the opportunity to talk about it a little bit because I do want to remove some of the woo-woo factor uh, associated with it because I think there's a potential here to have you know, a practice that doesn't rely on something as extreme as a psychedelic substance um, but yet has the capacity to go to a deeper place than, say, a guided imagery trance journey. Or um, certainly a psychotherapy session. Although here I am in a clinical psychologist, I don't mean to to knock psychotherapy. you know, psychotherapy is very helpful. But I think the potential of a practice like this is really largely untapped in the work we're doing particularly when it comes to work with addiction, with trauma, with somatically based kind of pain that needs addressing that needs to be healed and those kinds of things. With spiritual emergencies, the mental health issues associated with spiritual practices and spiritual awakening. I think this is really a powerful technique of engaging that.
0: So this uh, goes a little bit beyond uh the surface layer of, of cognitive therapy that we often deal with and gets, I think, to some of the somatic experiences and inner world experiences of uh, dealing with deep inner energies yes. that a lot of psychotherapy does not yes. touch upon. So thank you very much for introducing this and for, uh, for going ahead and getting certified in this. And I look forward to learning more about this and hearing more about it uh, as we move forward.
1: And I look forward to seeing you at one of my workshops.
0: Very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Dr. Speth. Uh, uh, this is Dr. John Ewing with Spirit Lake Wellness uh, concluding this series of interviews with Dr. Drake Speth about sacred breath work. Thank you. Good.